0: Welcome to a Barbate episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. And as you know, Barbate, a little whiskered, a little bushy, a little uh, stubbly, some would even say, and that might be descriptions of just one single man uh, that is the big news of this weekend. Uh, but there's only one man that I'd like to talk to at this moment, man near and dear to my heart right next to
1: me, my co-host Frank Placo. How are you doing, Frank? Well, Rotem, I'm doing great, as always. Pleasure to be with you again. And uh, I'm also feeling... Uh, all of those same adjectives that you described, and it only took 14 odd some NBA games into this season for us to have our first super uh, mega trade of the year, and I'm excited to talk about it and get into the nuts and bolts of what happened just a few days ago. Yes, just a
0: few days ago, and obviously some of you might be expecting an NFL episode right about now. Monday, we just got through four great games of NFL football, but just you wait. Thursday is the day of our NFL content, but today is Monday, and that means the NBA and some basketball. And for that, we have to talk about one of the biggest trades that have happened in the regular season in maybe a few years. Uh, as James Harden finally gets his wish after months of deliberation with a few teams, the Houston Rockets have sent their stud man to the Nets in exchange for seven first-round picks an additional one from the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've also picked up Victor Aladipo from the Pacers, Dante Exum from the Cavs, and Rodney and Radonis Karouche, also from the Nets. Involved were also the Pacers and Cavaliers, uh, sending Karis Levert out to the Pacers and Jarrett Allen over to the Cavs. Frank, a big
1: trade, a lot of teams involved. What's your first take on this trade? Well, my first impression of the trade uh, was that it was pretty wild. I mean... I wasn't expecting uh, four teams to be involved in the trade. Uh, We knew that the writing was on the wall for the end of James Harden's tenure with the Rockets. He has publicly and quietly uh, kind of been pushing his way out of Houston for several weeks uh, over to several weeks and months now. Uh, But anytime a player of James Harden's caliber is traded in the middle of the season or even in the beginning of the season, uh, it's a bit surprising. And so while the writing was on the wall, and a James Harden trade was all but inevitable, you still are a little bit taken back when one of the most prolific scorers and and offensive talents the league has ever seen, that that being in the history of the NBA, is shipped off to another team in the prime of his career, uh, it's certainly worth talking about. And that, of course, is what we're going to do. So, Rodan, what were your impressions of the trade? absolutely love the trade. You know, one of the best parts of the NBA, the quote-unquote uh, reality
0: television sport, uh, is the players, the people moving around. And while not many people are big fans of it, uh, I think the fact that players like James Harden have the ability to get out and move around and, you know, chase the face of the league is is what makes this league absolutely so great. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm right there with you, though. It is amazing to see a guy like Jim's Harden move around. You know, we've seen trades for a few guys. KD technically got traded just a few years ago, obviously the Quiet Leonard trade. But in the middle of the season, I don't think we've ever seen such a big trade.
1: Yeah, we definitely haven't. And this is definitely another example of player mobility, which has long been dominating the NBA for the better part of this decade. And you mentioned it. I mean, in no other sport really right now, do superstar and star players kind of call all the shots? in the same way that they do in the nba and harden is just the latest example and i imagine there'll be more to come in the near future they absolutely
0: will and uh, that leads us right into the fact that you players now that could be involved that continue that could continue moving uh thanks in large part to this trade and as we talk more about this trade well have, we'll break it down into winners and losers and i just mentioned a few guys that could end up getting moved by this trade and Biggest name, I think, ends up being Andre Drummond of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who now sees the new cornerstone at center for the Cavs of the future is going to be Jared Allen, uh, which kind of splits his time in half. So we're kind of seeing Andre Drummond not only be moved from the Pistons, who used to see him as a cornerstone at their franchise, now he's moving on to potentially his third team at some point in the season. Uh, Drummond, big loser in this trade, thanks to the snide move of the Cavaliers to get Allen.
1: Yeah, I agree. And Drummond is kind of in an interesting spot in his career now. I mean, during his time in the Pistons, a lot of people had a positive view of him. I mean, he was a consistent double double threat. He was capable of getting uh, 20 and 20 any night, which he still is. It's just a few days ago, he had 33 points and 20 plus rebounds uh, in a game with the Cavaliers. But it feels like his play style and what he brings to the table has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit with some teams across the NBA. And he's great as a rim-running lob threat, and he's a great rebounder, but he still doesn't bring all that much to the table defensively, which has kind of been maybe the biggest shortcoming for him during his career. And I think that uh, Jared Allen is the replacement for Drummond. There is an argument to be made that Drummond is a winner, maybe in the sense that if he is going to be moved, he now has the opportunity to go to a winning situation on a contending team, potentially. Uh, which would be an upgrade for him after playing for the Pistons and the Cavaliers. But all in all, I do agree that Drummond is uh, more of a loser than a winner out of this trade.
0: Yeah, you know, he's have been having a pretty solid season, averaging 19.3 points along with 15.8 rebounds, which is something that a lot of teams would like. Uh, and you mentioned it right there at the end that he could be moving on to a title contender. A uh, Rumor around the league has been that the Boston Celtics have been knocking on the Cavs' door to find out what Andre is worth to them. So maybe he does continue moving and ends up on the winner side of a different trade. Uh, for this trade, definitely at the time in his Cavs, he is no longer a winner on this team. But his team, in total, the Cavaliers, I would say, frankly, the biggest winners of this whole trade. In exchange for Dante Exum and a 2022nd first-round pick via Milwaukee, Uh, They managed to grab the franchise cornerstone at center in Jared Allen and also a pretty solid defender in Torian Prince, who, uh, you know, might be an underrated part of that. But for the price of what they just got, absolutely just thieved away. What a great player. Cavs, uh, Frank, would you agree with me? Biggest winners of this trade?
1: Yeah, I think maybe biggest winners is debatable, but they're definitely a winner uh, nonetheless. I mean, they were able to sneak into this deal. And no one's really going to talk about them because the Nets and Rockets are the headliners, of course. But in terms of bang for their buck, what the Cavaliers are getting in Jared Allen and Torian Prince definitely makes them a winner. I mean, Jared Allen is one of the best young defensive centers in the NBA. And I think that with a bigger opportunity, he could blossom into something a lot better than what we've seen. I think he'll get that opportunity in Cleveland uh, once Drummond is out of the picture. In that same mindset, Torin Prince is another young player who's kind of ended up in a 3-and-D type of role, but maybe he could do more uh, with granted opportunities as well. And at the very least, you're getting two solid young prospects who still have some untapped potential. And what they gave up, guys like Dante Exum, uh, he, he wasn't contributing for you. There just wasn't a future for him on your roster. And now you have two guys who could be potentially mainstays over the next few years. and especially for a Cavaliers team that is currently pretty beaten up, but
0: is impressing more than people are. Obviously, they have uh, already their franchise built around the sex land of uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Uh, But adding another piece that does fit really well into that timeline is is huge uh, for the Cavaliers. And to lose a big young piece for the Nets only makes those first-round picks that the Rockets are getting well into the decade uh, look a little bit better. But, you know, the Nets aren't just losing one fundamental young piece to their core. They're going to have another one leave the stadium, and we might be able to describe this guy as a winner as well now that he's leaving the Nets. And it's Michigan's own Karis LeVert leaving the Nets uh, away from being probably the third or fourth most important guard in that team and could find himself the number one in, uh, in Indiana. Frank, what do you think about Karis LeVert? Winner or loser in this trade?
1: I think he's definitely a winner. And I know you and I are both fans of LeVert from his days at Michigan and what he's done in the NBA so far. Um, And I think that this is a great opportunity for him to kind of spread his wings and fly a little bit. And we've seen throughout his young career that when Levert is given the keys to an offense, and we've only seen it in small sample sizes, but the returns from those moments have usually been positive. I mean, look at what he did down in the bubble for the Nets. He was the driving force behind that Nets team because there was no Kyrie and no KD. And he was the cog that helped that Nets team kind of exceed expectations in those limited seating games down in Orlando. And of course, uh, the conversation here begins and ends with Lavert's health, which is obviously a little bit up in the air right now because he is out indefinitely after doctors fi- found a mass on his kidney. So we hope and pray for the best for Lavert's health. But assuming that he's able to play sometime this season and be on the court for Indiana, I think he's looking at a starting role and he's going to have the ball a lot. And I think that bodes well for him, especially in comparison uh, to his situation in Brooklyn where he was the fourth or fifth option at best. Absolutely. In Brooklyn, he has only managed to surpass 40%
0: usage uh, only one week of his entire career and it happened to be in the bubble. In that one week, Frank, he averaged 26 points per game and was the number one better than Devin Booker, better than TJ Warren, better than Damian Lillard, better than all those great players that played in the bubble. He was the number one player in win shares and PER during that span. He is a phenomenal player that is now going to break out for the Pacers. And uh, it makes you think, you know, what are the Pacers known for? Well, they just so happen to be the franchise with the most ever, most improved players. Uh, Obviously, Jalen Rose in 2000, Jermaine O'Neal in 2002, Danny Granger in 2009, Paul George in 2013, and most recently, Aladipo, the man he's now replacing, 2017-18. Could he become Pacer number six to garner that award. Uh, to start the season, he was at plus 15,000. His odds might be surging, but Frank, would you jump on this potential, uh, especially with the storyline he's now having co- returning from that kidney mess?
1: I would definitely buy it uh, as something that could happen. And again, it's contingent upon his ability to return, the court, return to the court uh, probably in short order because, you know, it's a shortened season to begin with, um, and he, he has to have games under his belt to be in contention for an award uh, like most improved but what he should have working for him is his numbers will improve across the board uh, in theory with gra- with greater opportunity on both sides of the ball and like you you mentioned it brief- briefly that the narrative now is something that has to be considered as well because he has because his health situation is unknown and it's up in the air and if he's able to bounce back from that uh, you know it could be a feel good story and i love a feel good story and I think that the voters for awards do as well. And I know you do, too, Rotom. Do, and uh, he's got some tough competition. Uh, Jeremy Grant of the
0: Pistons and Christian Wood of the Rockets are currently the front runners uh, for those awards. But uh, we'll see. Maybe Karis can jump in there and uh, garner himself some awards. But thanks to some of the players involved, now we have to jump over back to the losers and of all the guys that are most likely not to get any awards this year. Out of the three, KD, James Harden, Odd Man Out has to be Kyrie Irving. You know, a big tweet that's been going around Twitter uh, that he left the Cavs to uh, no longer be LeBron's Robin. And he was Batman for a little bit there in Boston. He didn't do a great job of it. Now it's Jason Tatum, the man who stepped to replace him. But he's gone so far as not even to be Robin anymore. He's Alfred to these two guys. Uh, So gotta be described as one of the biggest losers uh, on the court. Obviously, his away-from-the-court stuff over the past two weeks has been... Easily describable as just absolutely losing, and Kyrie Irving is back in a situation where no one likes him on the court, no one likes him off the court. Kyrie, man, get it together.
1: Yeah, I think that's a perfect description, and to begin the conversation, uh, there's nothing wrong with being Alfred, Uh, Alfred Pennyworth, you know, from the Batman series, great character, shout out to Michael Caine, shout out to Sean Pertwee from the Gotham series on Netflix, but... You described it perfectly. Kyrie uh, is not in the best place. And I'll start the conversation here talking about the the on-the-court stuff before we talk about the the off-the-court stuff, uh, which we could go on for hours and hours about. But in terms of the basketball side of this trade for Kyrie, uh, he's kind of boxed out now from the equation. I mean, it was him and KD. They were supposed to be the one-two punch. We saw that earlier in the season before Kyrie went AWOL and now he's going to be returned to the court let me rephrase that now if and when he returns to the court with this nets team uh, you, you just can't envision him upstaging KD and James Harden two players who he who are who are better than him and more accomplished than him um he's going to have a role in this offense obviously but i don't even know if he's going to be the lead ball handler anymore because James Harden is a better playmaker than him. And James Harden has been one of the highest used players in the NBA over the past several years. And I don't know where that leaves Kyrie in this equation, but how do you see that fit working, Rodham, in terms of the three of them on the court? Because obviously, like you said, Kyrie is the Alfred to the Batman and Robin of KD and James Harden. Well, I think the fit really all
0: comes down to Steve Nash. And this is the exact situation where I think we were talking about it over the off season where... Steve Nash may have been the wrong decision to end up coaching this team because there are seven active players in the NBA with a career usage over 30%. Three of them, KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, now play for one team. Now, the other four, obviously LeBron, Ka- Kawhi, and uh, a pair of others that I don't have on this list, are uh, are very well suited to managing to play with each other. But this happens to be the three kind of most solo guys on the team. You make a great point saying James Harden, who has averaged 10 assists over a few of the last seasons, is is a phenomenal playmaker, and his threat singly as an offensive attack uh, makes him an even deadlier one than Kyrie, because as great as Kyrie's dribbles are, James Harden runs an offense. He's not just one guy doing stuff on the side, he is fully running an offense. And if Steve Nash can find a way to move that between the fact that Kevin Durant, probably one of the greatest offensive players of our lifetime, uh, is gonna be able to attack anything, you're kind of not finding a situation where the true one-two punch is James Harden on one side of the court, Kevin Durant on the other, and then Kyrie may be in the corner. Not that he's that great of a shooter from the corner, and he's not really a post player. If Steve Nash really wants to take this team as far as it can go, it doesn't really involve a plan that is fully getting Kyrie to his best.
1: Absolutely. And we've seen uh, in recent history that when you put together a big three, everyone has to sacrifice uh, to a certain extent. But that third wheel always has to sacrifice a little bit more. Chris Bosh did it in Miami. Kevin Love did it in Cleveland. And in Golden State, uh, it's hard to say anyone did. But, he, I mean, Klay Thompson would be the guy who, who sacrificed offensively, I would think. Um, and now, can Kyrie do that same thing? I don't know. Because Kyrie seems like a guy uh, who likes to get his. We know uh, not necessarily he's a selfish player, but we know he's somebody who who shoots the ball a lot throughout his career. And he's great at scoring the basketball and he's great at dribbling the basketball. But how much of that is he going to be able to do now with this new role? And how is he going to be able to adjust? Because we know that Kyrie is the type of person, uh, when he doesn't get his way and he's unhappy, things can go sideways quickly. And they have already gone sideways for him this year uh, with the Nets. So it's hard to see how it's going to play out now uh, given this trade. Yeah. And,
0: you know, I would actually go a step further than you in saying. Maybe he is a little selfish, and we've seen it. You described three guys that are phenomenal examples of that. Uh, I'm a known Bosch believer. Uh, I'm a claytheist as well. Uh, And those third guys have a special something that just not many people can achieve. Uh, Kevin Love can also be thrown in that mix that you just have to know. You're no longer the guy. You're probably not going to be an all-star anymore. And if you're really telling me Kyrie, the same Kyrie that we're now talking about, you know, we said we're going to stick with the on-court, but we got to bring up this off-the-court stuff. it's the same Kyrie that hasn't been playing for the past two weeks is now in a forced quarantine from the league for the past five for the next five days he's losing $50,000 in fines and on top of that $800,000 in lost salary it's this is not the kind of guy that you're saying yeah this guy is not going to want to play on the ball he's
1: okay with scoring maybe 16 points in a game
0: that's not Kyrie that is not the Kyrie that we know
1: yeah absolutely and this Nets Experiment is kind of contingent on what happens with Kyrie because if he's in the equation, then if he's in the equation, he's on the court, uh, he's willing to sacrifice, and he's motivated and engaged, then this could be a, an extremely successful experiment. But on the flip side, uh, it could also not be because you just don't know what you're going to get um, out of Kyrie. He, he's just an unknown individual off the court, on the court, and for that reason. You can't say he's a winner out of this trade, and you can't really say he's a winner at all recently. And right now, one of the biggest losers in the NBA, and I would say in all of sports as well. Not not to be too harsh, but I think that's a fair assessment.
0: It's an absolutely fair assessment. Uh, his stock in Kyrie Irving is an
1: all-time low, and not one that you want to buy either. Don't no, buy absolutely
0: stock. not. That is that is a poison pill. Don't add that to your portfolio. Uh, but in turn, you know, when someone eats, when, when someone goes hungry, that means someone else is eating. And the big question of this trade for players specifically, it's going to be not just this, how is Kyrie Irving going to mold to this offense, but what is James Harden bringing to this offense? Again, you mentioned it earlier. He's a plus 30%. He's a plus 30 points per game score in three of the last four seasons. He was the NBA assist leader just three years ago. Uh, he is a guy that can do pretty much everything you need him in fact his rebounding numbers have been up pretty much every year since 2017 uh when dwight howard left the team and it's looking like he could potentially be throwing great stats out there so we do have some odds for stats and we'll start with points obviously where he is most notably where he's most known for uh we have an over-under of his points at 29.5 with an over at plus 100 and under at minus 130.
1: Frank, do you think he's a 30 points per game scorer, even with two other superstars in this team? Well, talent-wise, uh, unquestionably, yeah, he, yes, he is capable of scoring 30 points a game. I mean, that goes without saying, uh, like we've said. But in this new role uh, with the Nets, 29.5 is too high of a number, I think, to take the over and the over is plus 100, the under is minus 130, so clearly Vegas thinks the same way. But even at minus 130, uh, the under seems like the safer option. I mean, the third wheel in a big three usually sacrifices more than the others, like we said. But at the same time, the guys at the top, uh, they also have to sacrifice as well, in terms of you're not getting the same shots as you would as the lone star as or the number one option on a team. And what happens with Kyrie? Uh... It's kind of irrelevant, I think, to this conversation of how much is James Harden going to score because KD is in the picture, and I can't see two 30-point-per-game scorers on the same team, and if one of them were to score 30 points a game, I feel like KD would actually be the safer bet. I think with Brooklyn, Harden is probably safer to average somewhere between 24 to 28 points a game, but 29.5, I think, is too high. And history would agree with you. Since 1990, only five teams have
0: had three players average plus 20 points, as we anticipate Durant, Harden, and Kyrie all will. Uh, That being four different Warriors teams, the Mullen-Richmond Hardaway, a little run TMC, uh, where Mullen was a high score at 25.7. In 2008, Baron Davis led the, we believe, Warriors with 21.8 points per game. And both of the Warriors teams featuring Durant, both of which Curry was the leading scorer, and neither one of those did he break 27. His higher of the two in 2018 averaged 26.4 points per game. Little tidbit there, Unto you. You know what the was surprise team? That wasn't the that wasn't the Warriors, the Kings, 2013-14. Mm. Cousins, 22.7 points per game. Isaiah Thomas, shout out to him, 20.3, and Rudy Gay. points per game. The only non-Moyers team to ever do it. Brooklyn, hoping to join that squad, but it does look like history is saying not going to be the year for Harden to average another 30 points per game.
1: Yeah, certainly not. And, you know, that Kings team, uh, a forgotten, very entertaining team that no one really talks about anymore, probably because they weren't good. But the trio of Isaiah Thomas, Boogie Cousins, and Rudy Gay uh, doesn't stack up to Harden, Kyrie, and KD, but deserves some respect, I think, nonetheless. They definitely deserve so. Definitely deserve some reminiscing
0: over a little 2K15. Uh, Probably one of my favorite teams to use. A little shout out to that. But as we keep moving on here with James Harden's stats, uh, his rebounding is the only one where the odds are the same. at a 5.5 set at minus 115. Will he hit the over or under for rebounds? Obviously, the losing of Jared Allen might be a big play in there. DeAndre Jordan being their only big man left in the team. And it's looking like Jeff Green, Hess, Six foot eight, Jeff Green is their backup center at the moment. Do you think that'll influence James Harden's rebound to hit over
1: 5.5? Well, that's a tough scene for Jeff Green. You know, somebody who was a small forward, a perimeter player for most of his career. And then last year with the Rockets, he was playing small ball five. Now he's going to be doing the same in Brooklyn. So it sucks to be Jeff Green right now. But with the rebounds, it's hard to say. I mean, Harden is a good rebounder at the guard position, and he always has been. Last time he averaged under 5.5 rebounds was the third season of his career. And every season since then, he's been 5.5 or better. So I think the the safer bet would just be to take a flyer on the over. I mean, it's minus 115 both ways. Maybe the subtraction of Jared Allen does improve his rebounding opportunities. Uh, If you told me he averaged 5.4 or 5.3 rebounds... That wouldn't be surprising either, but I think the over is the better option.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you here. I think it's one of the more underrated talent parts. It's one of the more underrated talents of James Harden. You know, many people talk about that MVP years and how many years he's been second place in MVP voting, and that is all thanks to his points. But aside from that, two years of scoring over double digits in assists, which we'll get to in a second. But like you said, that's a long streak for a two guard to have over five and a half rebounds and will be a big part of why the nets will continue to be good on the rebounding front. Uh, So yeah, I'm definitely agreeing with you on the over. So we went under and over uh, and assists probably going to be the big number and the one most tied to his teammates. Uh, And obviously he's got a lot of scores to pass to, but will he get more than eight and a half assists? Uh, at plus 100 on the over, minus 115 on the under. As I mentioned earlier, he's a one-time NBA assist leader, uh, and he has two seasons over 10 assists in a game. Frank, do you think this over hits, or are you with the under for two out of these three?
1: Well, again, it's it's a tricky conversation. Uh, eight and a half is a bit of a high number, but in the same way, I say I would suggest to take a flyer on the rebounds on the over. I think it's worth taking a flyer on the over of this assist number as well. Uh, we know Harden is a great playmaker. We know he's more than a capable passer. And whether or not Kyrie is on the floor consistently uh, may impact this number. Because if Kyrie is starting and he's playing 30 plus minutes, he's going to have the ball one way or another. We know that Kyrie is going to be dribbling the basketball quite a bit. And that limits James Harden's assist opportunities. But even so, there's still going to be some opportunities for James Harden to get assists playing off the ball. I mean, he can he's going to be a secondary or a first playmaker, whether or not Kyrie is playing. And in the event that Kyrie goes AWOL again and is not playing, then Harden could easily be a double-digit assist playmaker on a regular basis. And for that reason... is high, but at plus 100, I think it's worth taking the over. would
0: 100% agree with you, and wow, we get back to it. It's all up to Steve Nash to decide if this one hits over, but I don't think this one's even a flyer. I'm almost certain that it's going to hit on the over on this one because at the end of the day, Kyrie Irving is the cancer that features on this team and is the one that is likely to become that third-place team, and on those days when he continues to be AWOL and he doesn't show up and on the court, you can see that, his sluggish play like he did on the Celtics when he was in content. Uh, that is going to be the days in which James Harden does what James Harden does best. Run at the basket, pass to the three-point shooter. Run at the basket, pass to the three-point shooter. And with guys like Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, sadly, Karis LeVert will not be involved in that, but maybe Timothy Luwau kabar who has been a great three-point shooter so far uh, this season, uh, who was a major part of a few of the games that they managed to pick up without either Durant or Kyrie, uh, might be involved. And that is a play that we're going to see over and over and over again until we get sick of it. No one's better at doing it than James Harden when he runs into the basket, scares everyone with his left hand,
1: passes it off to the three-point shooter, and bang, three points for the Nets. He's also a better passer than Kyrie is, so even if they're both on the floor at the same time, I think Harden is the better bet to be getting more assists between the two of them. Nice little
0: add, but when those assists go away from when those assists get added to one team, they must go away from another. So there's another group of guys that we kinda have to discuss here, and it's the ones that now have this hole in their team. Obviously when we talked about the Houston Rockets last year, it was all about Russell Westbrook and it was PJ Tucker and James Harden, obviously. But this year, the big three is John Wall, Christian Wood, and Demarcus Cousins. So this team is looking very different. Frank, I don't know about you, but I'd consider all three of those guys winners now that the highest guy in usage over
1: the past three years is now no longer on their team. Uh what do you think about that? Yeah, they're definitely winners and they're newcomers to the organization, like you said. And they were kind of walking into a bit of a toxic situation that was out of their control. I mean, they didn't ask to be thrust into the middle of ongoing and unavoidable drama between James Harden and the Rockets. And yet they were. And the team has kind of been struggling, uh, I think to a large extent, because of that. And Wall and DeMarcus Cousins kind of came out publicly and said that James Harden's sluggish attitude and his unresponsiveness on the court and off the court were kind of holding the team back and it was creating a swirl of drama that is not going to be there anymore and now guys like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood the latter of which was already having a breakout season will only have added opportunities with Harden no longer on the roster and i think John Wall in particular uh, could be maybe the biggest winner of them all of course seeing the seeing as though he does play that point card position he's kind of the only solidified playmaker on this roster now and it's an interesting spot for wall who's back on the court for the first time in two years uh, his numbers have been down especially assist numbers across the board in comparison to what we saw a couple years ago but I think now wall could be back to his double digit assist ways uh, and that's exciting that'll be exciting to see I don't know if it's going to lead to a significant improvement for the Rockets in terms of wins, but individually, uh, those guys have to be considered winners. Absolutely. Uh, and
0: among those guys, I would add Raphael Stone, the new GM that came in to replace Daryl Morey. Uh, this was not a team that made a whole lot of sense going into the season, but now, piece by piece, Covington's gone, Westbrook's gone, Harden's gone, and this team is starting to look like an NBA team. That makes sense. Uh, is it a playoff team? We'll have to see about that later, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But, you know, credit to him and to and Coach Steven Silas. Uh, have Both have done a good job uh, at getting to this point here. We'll have to see how it progresses, but absolutely, the rest of the Rockets should definitely be added to that winner's list.
1: Well, I think the Rockets are losers and winners both. And it really just depends on what you think of James Harden right now at this stage in his career and what he meant to the Rockets on and off the basketball court. On the basketball court, uh, it's a significant loss. That goes without saying. I mean, James Harden is maybe a top five player in the NBA. He obviously has an MVP under his belt, multiple scoring titles, an assist title. Uh, He's one of the best offensive players of all time. And we've mentioned that already. And anytime you lose a player of that caliber, uh, it's going to hurt. It's hard to replicate that sort of production no matter what you patch together. But on the flip side, the Rockets clearly were not getting that version of James Harden so far this season. He was playing subpar by his standards, and most of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't interested in playing up to his caliber. He wasn't putting his best foot forward on either side of the, bat, on side of the ball. He, Harden clearly did not want to be in Houston anymore. Uh, he wasn't really trying, and now that he's got his way, he's gone. And the question is, how much will, that, will the removal of that negativity and drama that was swirling over this Rockets team uh, for the better part of the past month and two months, how much is that going to help them uh, on the basketball court? And does the personnel they have already in place and what they're getting back in this trade, is that going to be enough for them to be competitive over the remainder of the season? And I'm not so sure about that. But what do you think, Rodham? Well, since we already got out of the way of giving props to everyone
0: on the team and the people who have constructed the team and the coach of the team, we can kind of point to the one thing that does and is the biggest loser of this trade. The Houston Rockets are absolutely losers of this trade. The guy that was putting butts in seats at the Toyota Center was not anyone else but James Harden. Those number 13 jerseys that half of Houston probably owned that are now burning into the atmosphere was James Harden. That's a lot of money. And a lot of court talent that this team is now losing. And Victor Oladipo is great. He absolutely is. But he's been degrading for the last few seasons. And even John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins at their best are in no way close to what Harden's production was in Houston. I don't think that there's any way that this team could look at itself and say, it's fine. Right now, as a basketball team, we are anywhere near in the same position as we were with James Harden, even if he was playing at his worst. If you put this team into a seven-game series, and this was this was Harden's problem, and one of the big reasons why he was his trading is that this team would lose in a seven-game series. Maybe they pick up pick up one like they did in last year's playoff with the Lakers, but now without Harden, with Aladipo in the quote-unquote star role in that two-guard position, it's just you can't even see them picking up one game. They're built very similar to the Pacers, but a much older. With a much older to Miles Turner and a much older Brogdon, it just doesn't work out. And Christian Wood to Sabonis is not even that close of an example. So I think as a team, Houston Rockets, absolutely losers. Maybe in seven years when they've cashed out all of these trade picks and maybe some of those have panned out. But the draft is a fickle woman. And she does not give superstars like James Harden very often. Nor is a pick from Brooklyn for the next five years, now that they're floated, is going to translate into very much. In fact, the biggest winners out of all of these trade picks is actually Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma City has a few of Houston's future picks Very stupidly done move now looking back at it which with, for the Russell Westbrook trade, including two pick swaps in 2022 and 2024, the same years that Houston has pick swaps with Brooklyn, which now means that the best of those three picks between Oklahoma City and in 2022 Miami – and also, Houston and Brooklyn now goes to Oklahoma, meaning that their pick call of the 17 to 18 first-round picks in the next decade has now just gotten just a little bit sweeter, and they didn't even trade anyone. So uh, Houston Rockets, huge losers. Oklahoma City, surprise winners.
1: Yeah, listen, sometimes in these trades, the biggest winners are the teams you least expect, teams that aren't even involved in the trade itself. And like you just mentioned, OKC quietly... Uh, comes out of this trade in an even better position than they already were in. But it's been a year of change for the Rockets. That goes without saying. New GM, new head coach, traded Russell Westbrook, gutted almost their entire starting lineup. And I think James Harden was just the the cherry on top of the cake of change in a culture shift that is going to lead this rock, that is going to drive this Rockets team in an upward or downward direction. And it remains to be seen. Uh, and more change could also be coming, because you mentioned Victor Oladipo, but there's already rumors that, that he's looking to rent real estate in Houston, and he's not looking to buy, and he also could be on the move in the near future, and he hasn't even played a game for the Rockets yet, but Vegas already has odds out. Will Oladipo be on the Rockets next season? The no is minus 600, the yes is plus 350, and the heavy favorite for his next team is the Heat. We're minus 275, followed by the Rockets, who are plus 350, as well as the Knicks, who are plus 350, and the Raptors, plus 450, and the 76ers are plus 600. So it seems premature to give Oladipo a new destination before he's even touched down in Houston, but if all the rumors are true, more change could be coming for the Rockets, which uh, would just be a continuation of what we've already seen.
0: Yeah, and that, that's interesting to hear that Miami is so heavily favored because it's interesting what they would send back because I think they've obviously made themselves quite enamored with Tyler Hero. Obviously, the rumors of him being traded to the Wizards for Bradley Beal have been shut down since they're not willing to do it. And the cornerstone of that trade for Bradley Beal was looking like it was going to be Preston uh the rookie out of Memphis. But are they going to do that now with Christian Wood on the roster? And they still have P.J. Tucker to deal with. Uh, Maybe it's Kendrick Nunn, the breakout star point guard for the first half of last season. I don't know. Uh, But the Heat definitely could be a good position to like them. I definitely like those odds, even at minus 275. He's been talking about being a Heat for a very long time now. And I don't know. Those are good odds. But, you know, all these trades, Frank, makes us ask an even wider question than just these four teams involved. Does this trade make the NBA and their fans winners or losers. Uh, I started with, and I think I gave my opinion on it, I'm a big fan of player mobility. And I think the fact that players can move around and chase the face of the league so much is part of the reason why the league is at all-time records on viewing and why so many fans have taken a custom to the NBA. It's a reality TV show. The NFL, the MLB, they just can't compare to the amount and the name recognition that all these players are. I mean, just look at the guys traded here. Obviously James Harden's a big name, but Victor Aladipo is much more comparative of a number one of a number one receiver on a lesser known team. Karis Levert is a backup. It's like Latavius Murray being traded nowadays, and that wouldn't make national headlines, but here we are spewing all about how he could win an award. This is a league like no other, and at the end of the day, I think this trade, while bad for fans, if you're a fan of an Easter Conference team at the moment, I think it's good for fans all around. What do you think about it, Frank?
1: Well, I'm a little bit indifferent uh, on the big picture question of this trade. Uh, I get the perspective that you just laid out. Uh, if you're a fan of player mobility and you think that it's good for the league and, and you're, one of your draws to the NBA basketball is the reality TV star uh, element that there is to the league, then yes, uh, this trade is good for the NBA. But on the flip side... And this is sort of the perspective of of the old head, of the non-Gen Z or millennial uh, fan of basketball. And I'm going to offer that perspective, even though I do fall into that younger generation of fandom. And in this sense, I think it also is bad for the NBA. And I think that this is a continuation of the same things that we see out of the NBA year in and year out, where superstars and star players become disgruntled and unhappy With the situations that they're in, they force their way out of organizations, and the teams cave to that demand. And it happens time and time again, and I think at a certain point, it just becomes a little bit stale. And it becomes tiresome when you see the same storyline play out year after year with just different players in the equation. And James Harden was the latest. He certainly won't be the last. And I think there is a perspective that it hurts the league. And I think, in comparison to other, other leagues right now, like the NFL or the MLB, you can make an argument that because that doesn't happen there and the teams can, and there's more parity and there's more consistency uh, w- with structural ownership and leadership top to bottom, where the players aren't calling all the shots, that those leagues are a little bit more enjoyable. And I think some people do think that. And these super teams that continue to form year after year and these mega trades, they're certainly entertaining and they make for, for interesting storylines. And it's worth following and worth keeping, keeping an eye on. But at a certain point, it just becomes more the same and, and it loses the sort of appeal that it used to have. And that's kind of where I fall on it. But at the same time, I understand what you're saying and I get that perspective. So I think it's good and bad and there's merits for both arguments.
0: Well, then another interesting connection to that would be uh, something that's been hotly debated throughout most of the NBA talk shows uh, throughout the week is a statement that James Harden gave slightly before being traded was that he felt like he gave everything to the city of Houston uh, and that this was just his final attempt. The way I'm describing it, obviously, is in, in a league such as in the league, such as the one I was describing, it sounds like he was just doing his due diligence and saying, I've had enough. They haven't supported me, so I'm not going to support them in the league you're describing. Or in that situation, it seems like that isn't really the case and that James Harden should have really stuck out and been there for the team that has supported him. And when he wanted Dwight Howard, he got Dwight Howard. When he wanted Russell Westbrook, he got Russell Westbrook. When he wanted Chris Paul, he got Chris Paul. So obviously this is a slightly different question, but how do you feel on that one? Do you feel like James Harden truly gave all he had for the city of Houston? Or do you feel like guys like DeMarcus Cousins, who have publicly said this has been a bad situation and James Harden has handled it poorly, are more right to do so?
1: Well, somebody like DeMarcus Cousins uh, coming into Houston, and he's only been there for a few months. I don't think he can speak on what James Harden has done for the city for the better part of the past decade. But when Harden says that he's given everything to the city of Houston, that's kind of a vague and loaded statement. There's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But kind of where I come out on it is you mentioned all the demand that he's had over the years. And the Rockets met pretty much every single demand that he wanted they they've catered to all of his needs and all of his wants they've made including the one right now of being traded exactly but even before that they've traded for players that he wanted they signed players that he wanted and it never amounted to deep postseason runs and a lot of that has to do with Harden's shortcomings in the postseason Harden is a terrific offensive player and he he's done tremendous things in the regular season And he's had great playoff moments as well, but in a vacuum, in the big picture, he's also had a lot of of moments in the postseason where he's come up small, uh, especially in comparison to the player that we know he is. So Harden's done a lot for the the Rockets as a basketball team. I'm sure he's done a lot uh, charity-wise, and he's meant a lot to the city, obviously. But saying that he's given all he has... To the city, it's it's difficult to make a judgment on whether or not that's true.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a difficult situation, but it's an interesting thought, uh, especially as you mentioned. You know, it it keeps happening every day, uh, and the value of what a player means to not just the team and not just on the court value of what a player like James Harden means to the city. Uh, It has to be talked about more and more as the globalization of sports uh, continues. And it's crazy that this is just one of those big factors. You know, 90 years ago, if someone like James Harden were to move from team to team, it wouldn't even be regarded in the news. This trade might be in the history books one day of how important and how financially important it is for both of these cities. But you know what else makes money, Frank? And the thing you just mentioned, it's the playoffs. Now that four of these teams are now very much changed, let's see which one of them is actually going to make the playoffs. I will start here with the Nets, the team that just picked up the big man of the trade. They are in a great position either way to make the playoffs before or after the trade, but now they're setting their sights a little bit further to a championship. And we talked about winners and losers and one big team we hadn't talked about was the Brooklyn Nets because I think it's all dependent on whether they win a championship or not. If they can't reach their mark of a plus 270 championship, then uh, I don't think that they can view this trade as a success in any way, shape, or form. Even a conference championship, I think, would vindicate it a little bit, but a ring on a finger is all that would make do for this trade. To win the NBA championship, they are plus 272. To get to the NBA championship, they are plus 125 by winning the Eastern Conference. And to win their own division in the regular season, uh, a division filled, with phenomenal NBA teams like the Sixers, the Knicks, the Celtics, and the Raptors. Yes, I listed the Knicks as a fantastic team. We'll talk about that in our next NBA podcast. But minus one thirty-five, Frank. Which of those would you be most confident in taking?
1: I think the best bet. I think the best bet out of those three, uh, based on value and based on bang for your buck, is to win the Eastern Conference at plus one twenty-five. Even if the Nets were to lose their division, uh, which is entirely possible, given that there are other top eastern teams in the division like the celtics and sixers uh, then at minus 135 uh, you you would be looking at a loss in profit if you took that bet but even if they lose the division they still have to be considered the favorite to win the east and i know the bucks have been good this season they're nine and four the celtics pacers and sixers have also been good they're ahead of the nets in the standings right now but you presume that the nets are going to be better from here on out and they're a team that, once everything gels together, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the postseason. They should be, at least, because they do have maybe the best starting five in the NBA now. And yes, yes, you're canceling out some of the depth that you have and replacing it with star power and James Harden, but that should be enough to get them to the championship, in theory. It really should. And like you said, it's championship or bust for them. After, it's championship or bust after making this trade. And at plus 125, with their competition to getting to the finals in the East, being the Bucks, Celtics, and a couple other teams, you have to at least like their chances where things stand right now.
0: You've got to like their chances, and the Nets were my early pick to go to the conference to win the East anyway, so I'm going to stick on that one. Though this does make me hesitate a little bit because... You brought it up when we were talking about James Harden just a few minutes ago, and he's not a very spring chicken when he gets to the postseason, and when he's playing in May and when he's playing in June. Not that he's ever played in June. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what James Harden we're going to see. So it does make me a little hesitant, and definitely not, um, definitely not have, definitely not bold enough to I think go to a championship plus two seventy, right. but a plus one twenty five. You're absolutely right. That five, the front five, should get them all the way at least to the Eastern Conference Finals. Will they win it? I'd probably put my money on them versus almost anyone. Maybe the Celtics will beat them, but I don't know. But I would definitely take that. But that moves us on to the Western side of things. uh, As the Rockets, the men who lost James Harden are dropping big. uh, Now to win their division conference and championship, we got plus 1,000 in the division. That is the Southwest division with the Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Spurs. Ah, uh, they are fourth in that division, just in front of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, for the conference, all the way to make the NBA Finals without James Harden, they are plus seven thousand five hundred. And this might be one out of the picture, but twelve thousand plus way 1, out of
1: the picture, like way out,
0: of the way out out of the ballpark. Uh, the Astros are pretty good at doing that, though they might cheat their way. So the Rockets might be able to cheat their way as well. Ah, uh, but Frank, are you taking any of those three?
1: Well, those are a lot of big numbers, and I think that kind of speaks to where the Rockets are right now. Uh, They're four and seven as of January eighteenth. They are one of the worst teams in the Western Conference, and it's hard to see. It's hard to really narrow down what the future holds for this team. What the next few weeks look like, I think it's entirely out of the question that they're going to win the Western Conference, and I think it's even more out of the question that they're going to win the NBA championship. So even with values of 7,500 and then 12,000 there's just no chance that those numbers return you any sort of value and i really think it's also a long shot that they're going to win this division seeing as though they have the fourth best odds to do so but out of those three you have to say that the division odds would be the most likely if anything but if if they win the division then somehow they would have found their way being one of the best teams in the west and i don't think that's going to happen either So I think the best advice would be don't trust the Rockets right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They're over under of 36 and a half to start the season is kind of looking like it's going to be a nice little under for uh, the fact that both of us took them uh, for that. Uh, But they do currently sit fifth in the division with the Spurs and Mavericks at seven and six, uh, the Grizzlies at six and six, the Pelicans at five and seven, and the Rockets find themselves at the bottom. So it's not looking great for those guys, but that is... uh, been one hell of a trade and frank we uh are looking at quite a few more uh thanks in the result of this one we talked about andre drummond we talked about victor eladipo maybe pj tucker gets moved as well uh but the ripple effects of this humongous trade will certainly be felt and we'll be right back to talk
1: to you about them right you know one of the biggest winners uh out of this trade that we didn't talk about was us in this podcast because like you said it's probably going to have a spiral effect where we see more trades happening in the near future which means more content from us, which also makes the listeners a winner as well. Well, Frank, the listeners are always
0: winners in my heart, and if they want to grow our listener base and make sure that all of the world joins the great winners of our listeners, you can make sure to check us out at Play it Pod, both on Twitter and on Instagram, specifically on the Instagram where I make a daily Basketball NBA pick just slightly broke into the NFL. We'll see if we continue that one. A uh, little nice little MS Paint drawing for you, where we are going 14 and seven, an outstanding 14 and seven, 66 percent win rate. We'd be the third best team in the NBA right now, just saying. But Frank, if they also wanted to get your advice. They you can get me mine from at of Kaufman. If they wanted to get yours, they could get at.
1: You could get it at jp 0 on Twitter. And you know, I like to finish here with a little bit of a quote, and this is one that's topical to this conversation that we've had winners are not people who never fail but people who never quit and that is from an anonymous person
0: anonymous always getting the good stuff we'll have to see if anonymous comes back with a great quote on thursday as we see you back for more nfl content to preview the nfl conference championship a wheel see you then